If you will, turn at a copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We'll be looking at three texts this morning, beginning here. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. But before we begin, as you're turning there, let me, let me pray for us. Father, we ask for your blessing upon the preaching and reading of your word, that you would grant anointing to the hearer and to the preacher alike. We need you, Lord. So we ask that you would send forth your spirit to help us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we ask it. Amen. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Well, last week we answered the question, why do we have elders? And this week we seek to answer a similar question, why do we have deacons? As a Presbyterian church, we have both elders and deacons in this church because we believe that's what Scripture tells us to do. Perhaps we are unique in this. I think we are the only um, church in the area that has both elders and deacons in um, East Bruton and in Bruton. So we must ask the question, um, why do we have deacons? As we look to the Word of God to answer that question. Last week we looked at why do we have elders, and if you weren't here and would like a copy of that sermon, uh, you can call Gloria or our sermons are also online if you'd like to, to hear why we have elders. The reason that we are taking a two-week break from our normal practice of preaching straight through the Word of God, what's called expository preaching, is because we have officer nominations coming up beginning next week. And we'll have uh, the, the logistics of that next week as we have the forms in the bulletin. Well, to give a brief overview, the office of elder is one of teaching, of shepherding, and spiritual care and oversight of the congregation. They are Christ's under shepherds. Under elders, whereas Christ is the head of this church, he works through elders to care spiritually for his flock. The office of deacon, on the other hand, is one of service, especially of the physical care of the congregation, the community, and our church um, facility. Uh, Deacon, by the way, means servant. Uh, The word is diakonos in Greek, from which we get deacon. You can hear it, or diaconate. Before we begin, there are a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be a deacon. The first is that being a deacon is not a stepping stone to becoming an elder. A lot of elders once served as deacons, but, but that's not scripturally how it has to work. These are two very different offices. And God calls, God doesn't call all men to serve as an officer. 
But when he does call men to serve as an officer, he will often call men just to the office of deacon or just to the office of elder. And so it is not like when you think about someone who's in career in the military where you desire to be a general. But first you have to be lieutenant colonel, then a colonel. And the only way to be a general is to first be lieutenant colonel. The only way to be an elder is first to be a deacon. That's not how it works scripturally. These are two worthy offices that God has given us. And we are served best when the men who are called to those offices are serving in those offices. In fact, some of the most godly men I know, uh, both in my family, in, my, in our community, in our church indeed, are, are deacons. One of our missionaries, actually two of our missionaries, uh, Mr. Zabrowski in Australia and uh, Jeremy Martin in Uganda. These men are deacons. It's exciting to see the Lord raising up deacons to serve in these capacities. These are two offices. This is the second point here, second um, kind of preliminary point, is that these two offices are different. Uh, they have overlap and they serve the congregation, but they are different calls. One is to exercise spiritual oversight and shepherding of the congregation, care, uh, while the other is just as spiritual, that of deacon, but has focus on the physical needs of the church and the community. I just wanted to, to mention those before we move on. So why do we have deacons? The short answer is because the Bible tells us to. Hopefully we do nothing in our congregation because our denomination says so or because it's always been done. Uh, We have deacons in this church just like we have elders in this church because the Bible makes it clear that this is how the New Testament church was governed and served. The the office of deacon arose, so the office of elder was in the Old Testament as well as the New, but the, the office of deacon is a New Testament office. And we first see it arising out of a problem what we've just read in, verse, in chapter 6 of Acts. That the church had grown exponentially since Pentecost. We see before the coming of the Spirit in Acts chapter 1, about 120 disciples gathered together. But by Acts chapter 6, most estimates put the church in Jerusalem at about 10,000 people. That's a lot of growth very, very quickly. And in in leading the church were just 12 men, the apostles. They were basically doing everything. They may have had some helpers, but nothing was written in stone. There was no other organizational help, really, to help them. So things were, unsurprisingly, falling through the cracks. Can you imagine having just 12 men working with 10,000 people, with new believers being added every day? It was a great blessing to have, a wonderful problem to have, right? As the Lord blessed His church, as the numbers were added to daily. But the problem here was that the widows, some of the widows, were being overlooked. To be a widow in that day was to be destitute. If you didn't have children to take care of you, then you had basically no source of income. You couldn't go back to your family, by the way, because if you did, you had to repay the dowry that your family had paid to your husband When you were married. And so it was not uncommon for there to be young widows in very distinctive garb, which widows would wear, being destitute by their 20s and 30s. Now, in in Israel, with the Jews, you were part of a synagogue, and the synagogue would take care of you. This is one of God's charge. You take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner. But when you become a believer... Suddenly you're taken out of that context and you have no help whatsoever, so you begin to starve. And so the church began to meet those needs. 
The problem, though, as we see this in threefold, three problems here, is that the church, the growth of the church, had outstripped its organizational structure. Hellenists, uh, Greek-speaking Christians, uh, were beginning to be missed in the distribution of food these widows would be. It's just like a trellis and a vine, which we spoke of briefly last week. You must have a trellis in order for a vine to be healthy. If you don't have a trellis, the vine will not grow. If the trellis is too small, it'll, it'll get tangled and be disorganized and be a mess, and it will not be healthy. If the trellis is rotten, then it will not stand and the whole thing will fall. You must have the organizational structure in order for the vine to grow. And the word vine is a key word in the Old and New Testament referring to the church. There was so much growth that it outstripped its organizational structure. And therefore, problem two here, that many widows were being overlooked. An issue not just of inconvenience, but of life and death, of starving. But the third problem is the apostles were being taken away uh, from their calling to preach and teach the word of God. These were men of compassion who love those under their flocks. So of course they're going to stop what they're doing and seek to meet the needs of those who are starving around them. But the problem is, we see in verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Sometimes this phrase, serve tables, is used pejoratively in a negative sense, as if this were a, a low thing to do. It's not that the apostles, this was below them or beneath them, or I can't get my hands dirty kind of thing. It's this was not what they were called to do. And so he, they, they said, please, choose amongst yourselves seven people. The nomination process, Right? With 10,000 people, how did, that, how did that happen? Perhaps it was an election. Perhaps there were representatives within the, in the group that made the decisions. We don't really know. But the, the church collectively put forward seven men to be examined, to come before the apostles. And the apostles approved of these men and appointed them, ordained them to the ministry of deacon. The word deacon's not used here, but it's pretty clear that's what's going on here. We might call them proto-deacons, the, the first deacons. So the duties of these deacons and our deacons in our church, as we think about why do we have deacons, is because there was a need that the Lord met by raising up the office of deacon in his uh, church, in the local congregation. The first we see quite clearly from here is caring for those who are in need. Caring for those who are in need. And by the way, when we think about the, the role of a deacon, when we think of the, it is mostly a physical call of service, You know, when you go to the widow who is in need for food, you're not just ministering in deed. You're also ministering in word, right? This person's discouraged and he's love. So these these roles overlap some. With visitation and caring for those who are having problems, it's not just a here's your money kind of thing. It's a high calling of loving and serving those whom you're caring for. When people are in distress and poverty and financial need, deacons are called to help in a godly and responsible manner. They are to search out even for ways that the congregation can help each other and the community and make those needs met. Along with that, they are to develop the gift of what's called liberality or generosity. They are, help, they are to help us open our pocketbooks a little wider. As they find these needs, they are to bring them to us and help us and teach us and guide us as a church as we use our resources, our time, our talents, our treasures to help meet the needs in our congregation first and then in the broader community. 
Logistically, they are called to collect and to distribute the funds. They are to um, help financially lead the church, support uh, outreach and missions abroad, and help alleviate need in the community in our congregation. And finally, they are called to care for the property of the church. This sanctuary was built, what, 1922, I believe? Uh, and, and the rest of our congregation, is, I mean, our rest of our building has been added on to bits and pieces. The Lord has blessed us with a great historic facility, uh, but it does require a lot of work. And our deacons are called uh, and do take care of our facility very well. So that's why we have deacons, because the Bible tells us to. But who should serve and how should they? Turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 10. We read of the chief deacon, the, the, the real chairman of the diaconate, if you will, uh, Christ Jesus, how he leads us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, how he leads us and calls us to lead as officers and especially as deacons in the church. This word deacon it is, a, is a word that is used in its non-technical sense to refer to Jesus in this passage. As we look at his example of leading his people, we see that it is one of service. Mark 10, starting at verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant or deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Be a deacon means to be a servant. What this text says, actually, um, the word deacon means servant. And this word deacon actually appears here in the Greek many times in this text. But look especially at verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, not to be deaconed, but to serve, to deacon, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus sets forth in how he loves and guides his flock in many ways, but, but we'll just focus on two, the, of sacrifice. Being an officer in general is a sacrifice, but being a deacon especially. Christian leaders are called not to lord our authority over others, not to seek the office so that we can get recognition or a title, be able to add it to our business card or to our resume. It's signing up to get, throw, get dirt thrown at you. It's, it's signing up for being the first one here and the last one out. It's signing up to serve a messy flock of sinners like me. This is what it is called to be a deacon. A deacon is called to sacrifice like Jesus, not doing good works to receive accolades or attention, but that through the, so that Jesus would be glorified. We think of Stephen, the first martyr. Do you know what he was? He wasn't an elder. He was a deacon. And he was martyred. He was killed for preaching the word so well and being a testimony for Jesus. Being a deacon and indeed an officer in general, but especially here a deacon of love and compassion... Um, love and compassion. Not a hard man, but of a tender heart. Responding not with anger and hatred and frustration, but with love and compassion when we look out and see folks in need and in help. Need of help. One that's not here, though it's clear, is um, also commitment. Being an officer, elder, or deacon is to be committed. It is a commitment. 
Well, we see throughout the rest of the New Testament in the Acts passage and then also in 1 Timothy 3, which I'll ask you to turn to. And this is where we'll stay for the rest of our time. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, we, we find the qualifications for elders and deacons. Um, I referred to them last week when we looked at elders, but um, this morning we, we look at the, the deacons especially. 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13, we read the high calling and high qualifications for deacons. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Following some commentators, I've divided these qualifications along with the one in Acts uh, and grouped them uh, to help us. Um, think through them in a more um, organized way. Uh, the first is we find that a, a deacon must be a, a dignified man of good repute. A man who is dignified is the man who is worthy of honor or respect. I think a good litmus test is if what would their neighbors and the community say about a man. If you were to see someone on the street said, Hey, do you know John Doe? Would they either say, Oh yeah, isn't that the guy who... Or, Oh yeah, that's a good guy. That's a good kind of litmus test. Elders and deacons, this is one of the the biggest uh, qualifications. It must be a a man of good repute, thought well in the community. As such, we learn that he's not to be double-tongued. That is to say one thing and do another. Not a life of hypocrisy. Not addicted to much wine. Scripture is clear that drinking in and of itself is not a sin, though drinking to excess of dependence or addiction to anything, uh, alcohol, drugs, anything at all, it is certainly sin and not greedy for dishonest gain. When you're dealing with needs within the church and dealing church finances and money and counting the offering, these things, that's a big one, right? Not greedy for dishonest gain. A good summary for both elder and deacons is that he must be a, a man of God. You know, twice a week we have a, um, a cleaning crew that comes into the church. Monday afternoon, so it's clean for Wednesdays, and then Thursday afternoon, so it's clean for Sundays. And those are skills that we all have, right? I mean, we, we, could, we could do those things, but we outsource it. The Lord's blessed us financially, so we can outsource this to a company. But you know what we can't outsource? The office of deacon and elder. It's not a formula. It's not a straightforward issue of straightforward problems and, and solutions. Um, to serve in the local congregation as an officer, as a deacon or elder, is to call to be a man of God, seeking after Him. We see this in, in Acts where we read in um, verse 3 that, that Stephen was a man full of the Spirit. Or the, the qualification for these men was he full of the Spirit. You know, being full of the Spirit, that's, that's kind of one of those phrases we, we throw around a lot. What does that actually mean? One commentator defined it well. He said, their lives are directed by God's Spirit, So they are spiritually sensitive and are able to make good judgments, which is a sign of spiritual maturity. 
Do you know the, the biggest way to be full of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, is to spend time in God's Word. I read a sobering statistic a couple weeks ago, and it said that, that about half of the people who are sitting in the pews in churches across the nation this morning will not open their Bibles again until next Sunday morning. 43%. Hopefully that number is not true of our church, but it certainly cannot be true of our officers. That as officers, we are called to have a vibrant uh, and um, uh, desperate relationship for Jesus daily, spending time in His Word and in prayer. He is called to be full of wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? It doesn't come out of the air. It comes from the Lord. It comes primarily through reading His Word. As as one of our men on Thursday morning Bible study, whenever I quote Thursday morning Bible study, there's one guy. He he always has the the great zingers. He he said this a a couple of years ago, actually. It always stuck with me. Knowledge is learned, but wisdom is given by the Lord. Knowledge is learned, but, but wisdom is given by the Lord. There's so many things as elders and deacons that we must uh, sift through. Relationships, feelings, emotions, the truth. How do we apply it here? You know, there are very few cut and dried issues we have to deal with. And, and so it requires much wisdom. Something that only comes from depending on the Lord. Deacons must hold to the mystery of the faith. A mystery is something biblically that was once hidden and now is revealed. And it is the mystery of the gospel. That is, that how could a holy God love sinners like you and me and save them? And that's the gospel, the good news. That Jesus would die for us. And out of that comes a tender heart, I think. A heart that is enraptured with the gospel. Enters into a situation of hardship and trials with a tender heart. Something that is required not only for deacons, but also for elders. He must, according to 1 Timothy 3, 9, have a clear conscience. Uh, Certainly that applies to elders as well, that we must not be an unrepentant sin. That's not to say that um, we are perfect. Uh, If you find the perfect elder, deacon, or pastor, run because they're hiding something. Uh, This is that there's no unrepentant sin in their life. He must be a proven and tested man. 1 Timothy 3.10 says, Let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Um, You you generally want to nominate folks who are already doing, as they have the opportunity, uh, that which you're ordaining them to. A deacon must have a track record of doing the duty of a deacon, of of helping the congregation, of having that tender heart, of having wisdom, of of being a, a man of character. Does he manage his children and household well? Um, one of the best ways to see how a man will deal with the household of God is to see how he deals with his, with his own household. How does he treat his children? How does he treat his wife? Does he speak well of them? Does he have a tender heart towards his children? Does he love and serve them? Does he sacrifice for them? Does he lead them in a godly manner? Especially, elders and deacons must be men with godly wives. We see this in verse uh, 11. Their wives must likewise be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Uh, Commentators agree this doesn't apply only to deacons, but also to elders. The wives of officers must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things, and otherwise godly women, if they're married. You don't have to be married to be a deacon or an elder, but if you are married, your wives must be godly. 
I've met a man, actually, who was disqualified for service, not in our congregation, uh, in a Birmingham congregation. The church was about ready to hire him. And uh, they met his wife, and it was really clear this wasn't going to work out. Um, that's sobering. That's sobering. There must be men dedicated to their wives. Verse 12 puts it very clear. Let deacons be the husband of one wife. The Greek here is a one-woman man. A man who is dedicated to his wife. Doesn't have eyes for another. Doesn't have improper relationships with others in the workplace, online, or anything like that. He must speak well of her at all times in public, never tearing her down, but always building her up. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. And the deacon and the elder are called to care for the bride of Christ. But it's interesting, in this text, in the First Timothy text, there is something unique about the office of deacon. It's not mentioned earlier, the office of elder. And this is the rewards we find in verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There's a reward towards men, but before others, as deacons serve well, they gain standing. They gain a good reputation. But towards the Lord is really exciting. They gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means they grow in their faith. It's exciting to find that which God has called you to, to use your gifts and your talents for His glory. And He uses those times of service to grow you in dependence and in His grace. He grows us often in hard times, in difficult matters. The deacons look forward to, can look forward to growing and being grown by the Lord. Well, nominations will open next week. Uh, A man must be nominated twice in order to serve. And before he's nominated, you must talk to the man to make sure that he's willing to serve. Um, And we'll have the forms uh, for you next week. Be praying this week. It is with intention that we left a gap between this sermon and nominations opening next week. So that we might pray about whom the Lord would lead us to. It's not a popularity contest. It's not because it's someone's turn or... Uh, or many, many other unhelpful reasons. It's, these are men who will serve our congregation. And as goes leadership, so goes the church. It is a matter of great prayer, and I commend you to it. But let me tell you this, that, that all that we've said here, these are, these are kind of internal conversations. But let me remind you about Jesus before we go. Did you know that Jesus loves you? We think about how Jesus served us. He served those who don't deserve to be served and don't deserve to be loved. He had compassion on people like me who are wretches and sinners. This is the kind of chief deacon and chief elder we have in this congregation. This is our only hope in this life and in the next. We deserve God's wrath and His curse. But Jesus has taken every bit of that on the cross for us. Why did He do this? It's not fair in the sense of how we reckon fairness. It would be fair for God to pour out His wrath on us forever, but He has, in His grace and mercy, poured that out on His Son. He has crushed His Son that we might have life. If you don't know the chief shepherd, if you don't know the chief elder, the chief deacon, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I call upon you today to make Him yours. Come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to tell you more about my Savior. Let's pray.
Lord, we do pray for your leading as we think through whom we will nominate and who will serve over the next three years and and to serve you and to serve your church. Father, equip us to do good works. Equip us to lead your congregation well, even as we wait for the day of Christ's return in which the bride of Christ will be presented without spot and without blemish. O Lord, may that day be soon. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.